0: Hey everybody, this is your host, LaVie. Welcome to Thrift Therapy, the podcast all about thrift life. Recycling, collecting, DIYing, all the ups and downs, ins and outs of thrifting. So glad you joined me for this thrift adventure.
1: Oh my god, you guys, I'm so excited to be here. I have so much to tell you, so, so much. So because I have so much to tell you, I'm going to do things a little bit different today. I am going to tell you uh, my social media stuff, and I'm going to jump right into thrifting stories because I have so many. I mean, so much has happened since we last chatted Like Black Friday, like I traveled to Kentucky, and it's just the thrifting stories have really piled up. So first, let me tell you some awesome news. You guys, because of your listening habits and telling people about Thrift Therapy and tuning in when I publish an episode, I jumped 30 spots in the rankings over the last two weeks. Isn't that amazing? I can't even believe it. I'm so excited. So I went from 160 to 130 in the arts and fashion podcast on iTunes. Keep it up. Tell the people tell the thrifters we can do this right? We can get our thrift on throughout the world. And I also am super pumped because I have a new Patreon subscriber and a thrift bag subscriber, Jocelyn. and Jocelyn sent me the most amazing email. It's pretty long as she admitted. but I wanted to read just a little bit of it because it's so heartwarming. First of all, I'm going to tell you what she said about the podcast because that's, you know, it makes me feel like the labor and love are really hitting the mark for somebody. She says, hi, Lavi, I really love your podcast in the community that is starting to build from it. I have been binge listening to your podcast the past week and have listened to each episode at least three times now. Each episode made me reflect why I enjoy thrifting so much and I could relate to most of your and your guests' stories. And that just... Ugh. I just thought, okay, that's perfect because I, I get it. I'm a podcast fiend and I will listen to an episode over and over because I'm getting something really from it. Uh, especially I have um, a couple that I go to and re-listen to that I just keep downloaded On my phone. So I totally get what you're saying, Jocelyn. And I'm so glad that Thrift Therapy is a podcast that you resonate with. That's just amazing. Thanks for taking the time to tell me, too. I really appreciate it. So also, I wanted to uh, let you know that Jocelyn has started record collecting again after listening to the podcast because she got rid of her record collection a long time ago and recently decided... I really miss that but a good point she made is that she said that she missed the records I would play in the intro and I know my intro is new and maybe we haven't had enough time to judge it properly but I was wondering if any other listeners prefer the way that I used to do the intro if you want to tell me about that, you can join the Facebook group and let me know. Maybe I'll make a poll. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll make a poll. New intro or do the record review like I used to, right? That would be a good poll. So go to the Facebook group, join Thrift Therapy, and let me know what you think. I really want to know. This is your podcast, so I want you to be happy with it just as much as I want to enjoy making it. So, thank you again, Jocelyn, for joining my Patreon, subscribing to a thrift bag, and writing me such a lovely email. There's so many lovely things in here. I really appreciate you. In other news, you guys, I went to Kentucky this past week, not the week of Thanksgiving, the weekend before. And I went for a conference for my professional job. Um, It was really nice. I do go every two years to conference because I need to get continuing education credits. And it's really the best way to go for doing that. And I get to travel a little bit. So I went this year. And because I have the podcast... I was thinking I had social things to do this year that I didn't have before, and it turned out to be true, so that was super cool. I would go to conference during the day, get my CEUs done, chat with people about therapy, and then I would take breaks and go throughout the city and hit up thrift stores and resale shops and like, little boutique areas of the city that were away from the downtown area where conferences usually are. And I really, really enjoyed that. So this, pos- this podcast is giving me new ways to live my old life. That's so exciting. I want to thank you guys for making that possible for me, just inspiring me to keep doing this work. It's really not work. It's a hobby. It's still a hobby. So I want to tell you a couple of stories on my trip to Kentucky. Uh, So the first one I'll tell you is that I walked to a thrift store near the convention center and it was cold as fuck that day. I found out later it was 35 degrees and I'm from Texas, y'all. So that's like deep winter where I'm from. And Kentuckians told me that it even feels colder there because it's so humid Well, I concur, it felt chilly, chilly, chilly. So by the time I get to the thrift store, and I'm wearing a coat, I'm wearing leggings, I'm wearing boots, I'm wearing a hat, I'm wearing gloves, I'm wearing a scarf, I'm wearing all the things. By the time I get to the thrift store, I'm thinking, I'm going to have to Uber back to the hotel because what the fuck, it's cold. So I get in there, I start unburdening myself of all this outerwear, And it's a true thrift store, not a boutique, which, of course, just warms me right up because I love that shit. Give me 25-cent knickknacks and $1.50 shirts. Yes, please. And uh, so I went about my business there, and I found some really cool stuff. And I took some pictures, of course. I'm going to post those up on my Instagram feed and my website Thrifttherapypod.com. That's where you can find all my social media. But I don't know if you know this or not, I always post pictures that coordinate with the stories I tell and the guest interviews and the albums I review on my website in the um, photo album at the bottom of the page. So you can scroll through the whole history of photos just. Match them up to your heart's desire to the episodes that you've enjoyed listening to. So I will post pictures of this thrift store. Now, it was one of those Saint Somebody Somebody Thrift Stores. You know, it's like run by a church. It's a charity shop. And uh, I, those are my favorite, really, to be honest with you. I love them. They're sort of overlooked by a lot of people. Uh, they have a lot of old lady things in there. And I love me some old lady gear. I love a normcore dress. I love a 1960s belt. I love a crystal bell. I love all that stuff. So it was fun. I bought stuff. I had to buy a duffel bag to bring all the stuff that I bought back with me. I needed a whole nother suitcase because I got to the airport and sadly my suitcase was already overweight and I had to put it on a diet right there and carry my laptop because uh, I am not paying $75 to put my laptop in my suitcase. No thanks. Too thrifty for that. So I bought a duffel bag. For $1.50, you can see all the pictures of that. But I think my favorite thing that I got at that thrift store was something I actually got for myself. I bought everything else for thrift backers. But it is a uh, long ankle length, uh, matte gold lace. I'm just going to say caftan, basically, with ruched shoulders and it's semi-transparent, like it's not lined, but it's really heavy old lace. And I freaking love that thing. I just, ugh, I, it was just made my heart sing. And it was $3.50. fucking cents. So, you know, I bought it for sure. Didn't even try it on, just took it. And then the rest of the stuff that I bought were for my thrift bags and of note for sure was I found a Joseph a. Banks blazer for my male, my sole male thrift bagger. I would love to have some more dudes to shop for. You know, people who want to buy men's clothing, who wanna or you know, maybe you're gender fluid, maybe you like to dress in male-type clothing, and you're not male-gendered, I would love to shop for you. I digress. I found this amazing blazer. I got it for my thrift bagger, and you guys, it fit perfectly. So that was thrilling. What else? Okay, I did not call an Uber back. By the time I finished shopping, I felt brave, And I thought, I can do this. It's fine. So I hoofed it back to the hotel. And you know what? It was fine. It was cold. And I had a duffel bag to carry. But it was fine. I made it. And I saved myself $15 or whatever. I know. I mean, sometimes it's miserable to be thrifty, isn't it? But I'd rather spend that $15 on the most amazing old fashions I've ever had in my life in Kentucky, by the way. I am a bourbon girl. I really love bourbon. It's it's a thing. And so I was super excited about going to Kentucky because it's the bourbon capital of the United States. Pretty exciting. And, oh my God, the old fashions. I went to this place a lot because it was near the hotel I was staying in called Porch. Shout out to Porch. Shout out to John, the best, most adorable, curly-moustached bartender in the entire world. Hugs, kisses, and thanks for the amazing old fashions. Uh, These were vanilla in flavor with a really nice single barrel bourbon and giant cube of ice, you know, just one giant cube as is the way. So they're craft cocktails and um, a soaked cherry, uh, a bourbon soaked cherry in the bottom. And I had one of these every day that I was in Kentucky because I couldn't not have one. So fuck Ubers. I'm down with the old fashion. Anywho, I didn't get to do much thrifting after that for uh, I think a day or two just because I was just packed at the conference with classes I wanted to attend. So but finally Saturday I was able to take an Uber because it was further than I could walk over to a little part of town, I think it's called Highlands, uh, and do some thrifting on foot. But these were all boutiques, right? And um, so here's the thing. I love a vintage boutique and that is in fact how I discovered thrifting in my teenage years. There's an area of Houston uh, called the Montrose area that was chock full of vintage boutiques. So that was my first introduction to this thing called thrift. But then I figured out that they're the middleman and I don't need them. And so when I went to these boutiques, I found some lovely, lovely things. But of course, you know, the dress was like $40 and a hat was like 15 bucks. And I was like, I know you paid $3 for this and I'm just not going to buy it. Now, I would have bought a couple things if they would have been really friendly and excited to have people shopping in their store but not only were they not friendly they were downright mean and rude and snoopy and it's like they thought everyone in there was going to steal something or was putting them out I'm not going to name names but I literally was like I think I'm just going to take these two records and go. The vibe was so bad, you guys. And I was pretty bummed because I'd heard such good things about this store. You guys kind of need to get your shit together over there. That was a very unpleasant experience. Anywho, I took my Marianne Faithful and Tammy Wynette records and Ubered on back to the hotel because the Highland scene was just a little too bougie for my taste. But no matter, Porch was waiting for me with a handcrafted cocktail, and that was fine. So the next day is the last day of the conference, which is always my favorite, because I guess I'm a little bit of a fringe person in general, and as a therapist, I guess you'd what. You'd call a fringe therapist, which I mean, what I mean by that is I'm a person who's interested in topics that the majority of therapists either don't give a shit about, aren't aware that they exist, or just find them irrelevant. But to me, they're really important, really relevant, and I wait for those topics to be talked about, like polyamory, uh, like. Gender fluidity, you know, the stuff that I find really interesting and important because it's, it's um, social evolution and I, I want to stay abreast of what's relevant to people's life now, not when I became a therapist a billion years ago. So always on Sundays, I have the best time because most everybody's gone from the conference and it's going to be like 20 people and it's going to be a topic I'm super interested in. This Sunday was no exception. I got to go to um, a wonderful talk on uh, helping trans people through gender transition and it was very pro-trans. And these people were super knowledgeable. And I learned so much. And I look forward to reaching out to them and learning even more. Because that's a big part of my practice is working with the LGTBQ Plus community. And in particular, working with transitioning. So that was fabulous. Shout out to them. And then I went to another amazing talk called Unmasking Masculinity. And it was just so moving because I think about masculinity uh, as something about how it affects me and I haven't had much empathy at all for how it affects young men growing up under the patriarchy. So that was really cool. I digress. Anyway, I was in a really great mood when conference ended because I felt just like I had really learned a whole lot. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go down to this last thrift store I heard about, the Fat Rabbit. I'm going to have to Uber it, but I really want to go. So I'm going to go check out of the hotel, check my bag, and head over. That's what I did. I get there. And I did post in the Facebook group a Facebook live video of my little adventure at the Fat Rabbit. But you guys, I, I totally forgot to go back and do more Facebook living because after I shopped at the Fat Rabbit, I went to a little bar next door called Kaiju. And look, when I got there to the thrift store, my Uber driver thought that I was going to Kaiju. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to this place. And it's was like, oh, I thought it was a bar. I was like, no, it's a thrift store. So after I finished my thing at the thrift store, which was pretty fast, it was kind of a small place, but I did get some really cool stuff. I got this adorable little brass mouse, which I took pictures of. But you're not going to believe this. It's pretty cuckoo. I went to the bar next door, and I met the coolest people there. I literally had the best time I've had in probably six months at this little bar hole in the wall, and they had vegan food, and it was so great. And these uh, young people were of all different cultures, they were of all different ages. It was really my vibe. And it's like nerd culture, so they're really into anime and board games, and in fact they were doing some Dungeons and Dragons tables while I was there. So. It was really, really fun. I I enjoyed it. And I didn't mean to stay so long because I was supposed to go to the airport, you know. Uh, A whole picture of mimosas later and lots of fun conversation with Jan. And oh, who else was I talking to? John and Polly. And here's the part you're not going to believe Polly, the guy that my drinking buddy that day, donate he sold the little brass mouse to the fat rabbit next door so he told me the whole story of this little brass mouse we gave it a name and it was our friend for the the rest of the time i was there so i just want to give a shout out to kaiju and let them know that they were the highlight of my trip as far as social time goes and if I'm ever back in Kentucky I will definitely visit you guys you just you just made my week even better I appreciate you so keep doing what you're doing over there being cool being thrifty and just spreading good vibes so those, that was my trip to Kentucky. It was really, really great. I, I couldn't wait to come back and tell you guys about it. And I'll, I'll definitely post pictures of all my little finds and my buddies at Kaiju so you can see what I'm talking about. And they were so swell they gave me a sweatshirt, which I've been wearing nonstop. Love it. Now, let's fast forward to Black Friday weekend, because you know that's a big, thrifty holiday, right? I um, did do some Black Friday shopping. My husband's a little bit more into Black Friday deals than I am, because he'll do that whole online thing. And he did, in fact, get us a new um, PlayStation for $60. I mean... I'll have to have him come on and tell you how he works these electronic deals because it's beyond me, and it's beyond. I mean, he gets some sweet deals. Like, he's been bragging that he got all the new video games that were released recently, like Red Dead Redemption and blah, blah, blah. He got all of them for less than half the cost that they're selling for, so he's really thrilled. He, he's very thrifty that way. But my style of thrifting on Black Friday is to figure out what all thrift stores are having sales. Get up early, wear my thrifting outfit, which you know what it is, right? It's a black tank top and black leggings because no dressing rooms, no lines. Screw that. So that's what I did. And I went to Thrift City over here by my house. And I got um, a bag of stuff. I spent about 50 bucks. Got a lot of stuff for thrift bags, just a couple of things for myself, but it wasn't as good of a sale as I wanted to be. It was only two tag colors that were 75% off. And I think of the 50 bucks I spent, I got maybe half of that was on sale. So that was kind of a bummer. And that's why I spent so much because the things I got weren't on the tag sale. So I was disappointed. I just got the fuck out of there, and I decided to go over to Texas Thrift because they have way better sales on holidays. And sure enough, they had seven. Uh, no, no, back up. Fifty percent off the entire store. Which, first of all, it's easier. Uh, second of all, it's way better. So, I know 75% off is a better deal, but if you can't find anything that those tag colors, really, how good of a deal is it? And you know, I did not get up at 9 o'clock. I, you know, was sadly like two hours behind everyone else. But whatever, I need my sleep. That was a much more successful trip. I filled up my cart, and I spent the same amount of money, which is right about $50, but I got like three times as much stuff. And I got mostly thrift bag stuff, I got tons of it, and uh, I pretty much could have done all of my thrift bagging for November from the things that I got this weekend, but this morning I got up and I did my my sourcing outlet, the Buffalo Exchange outlet, and I got another $50 worth of stuff, so I'm ahead for some thrift bag Subscribers for next month, so don't quit on me because I got you some good ass stuff today. I'm really looking forward to putting them all together. I started yesterday, but I had to put it aside to work on the podcast. But you guys are gonna get some amazing thrift, those who have subscribed, because I have been shopping for you for three weeks now and I have really found some killer shit for great prices. I'm pretty stoked. I'm pretty, pretty stoked. Well, that was a lot of talking about thrift. I'm just kind of worn out. Lucky you. I have a really long interview for you that is going to touch on some really important topics to me that have shown up in the thrift world for longer than I've been aware of them for sure. But it's time to talk about it. And I want to go ahead and set that up. My guest is Star. She is prefers to keep her identity private, uh, as do I, as do many people online. I fully respect that. But Star is an avid thrifter. She has a history in reselling and is currently a doula and training to be a midwife, which we're going to start with. We're going to talk about that a bit because it is a very thrifty way actually to give birth. So if there are any moms-to-be out there or people who are planning to have children in the future or maybe you're looking for some kind of career around being around children, This is a really cool thing that maybe not a lot of you know about, but Star and I both are going to share our stories. Not only is she a doula in training to be a midwife, Star also has a podcast called Killer Calling, and I know that a lot of my listeners are also really into true crime podcasts, so check out her true crime podcast where she cold calls her friend list and bends their ear about a murder that she's fixated on. It's quite hilarious. But Star is also a really great ambassador for people of color and for cultural sensitivity, which she is a trainer of. And I've asked her to be on Thrift Therapy to talk to us about all of these things. I hope you enjoy the interview. And if you stay through to the end... Although some of the things that Star and I will talk about are uncomfortable, they're very important, and I think that you will get something really valuable from staying and listening. And, uh, of course, always open to comments in the Facebook group, so join, and maybe we can continue this conversation there. Without further ado, my guest, Star.
0: Hi, Star. Are you there? Welcome I'm to here First therapy.
2: I'm so excited. Me too. to be here.
0: I'm so glad to have you. We've known each other for a minute online. Um, I don't know why I didn't think yeah. of having you on the show before. I'm glad it came up. I am too. So let's talk about your doula midwifery, um, passion. Tell me a little bit about how you got into that. What makes you like it so much?
2: My interest in being a doula and being a midwife actually started a long time ago. I'd say it started when I gave birth to my first child. So that's 14 plus years ago now. And I had a stroke after I gave birth to her and it was this tumultuous ordeal. I won't go into detail, but it was something that I totally didn't expect. I was completely healthy, um, I wasn't overweight at all. In fact, I was really kind of underweight. I had hyperemesis during my pregnancy, um, which I never heard about that either. But um, after I had the stroke and, you know, recovered and took the baby home, I had some other issues. And I was like, you know what? These are all things that people, nobody told me about. Like I got pregnant and literally was like thrown to the wolves. I didn't know anything about hyperemesis, which I suffered with greatly during my pregnancy. Didn't know anything about high, uh, high blood pressure and that I should be checking my blood pressure or that um, that could be an issue at all during pregnancy. I didn't know about um, the type of types of drugs or the things that I could um, have a choice about during labor. I really was completely ignorant. I went, I was 22, so I wasn't super young, but I wasn't, you know, really. I wasn't really that old either, but I was not isolated. Like I had plenty of people around me and nobody told me about these things. And I was like, there's got to be a, be be a better way to give birth. There has got to be a way that is more informed and more informed, um, you know, birth, birth circle. And in having trouble with breastfeeding that child, I linked up with a group, uh, called the Leche League. I know they have them in every state so far that I've been in, (laughs) So I got hooked up with this this uh, lactation consultant, and I didn't know any idea. I was like, what the heck is that? All I knew is that they had told me that breastfeeding was the best for the baby, so her father and I decided that's what I would do, even though I'd never seen a person that looked like me breastfeeding ever, ever in my life. Um, so I was breastfeeding and I was having issues and he was like well do we know she's getting enough and you know had problems so I consulted someone at the hospital and they said hey there's this group and it meets like today so you could like stay here and meet them so I met with them and the lady introduced me to not only all the all the things that I needed to know about breastfeeding she introduced me to baby wearing and she talked to me about doulas and I was like what the fuck is a doula and I like like heard about it and I was like I was so excited and I went and told her dad about doulas and I was like, I wish I had had a doula. I may not have had all the issues that I had. I may have had a completely different birth outcome and I was super excited, but that's kind of where I left it until about five years later. Well, no, not even that long Four, uh, four years later almost four years later, when I was um, pregnant with my next child. And I said, you know what? I really, really don't want to have this same outcome. And my likelihood of having that same outcome or worse was higher at this point. So um, I consulted a friend who was a doula and decided, you know, hey, I want to hire you for my my uh, labor. I had her at the labor um, and delivery. And I also had an herbal or... Uh, Sorry, um, someone who deals with basically herbal medicine, but no, you know, no chemical medications. So both of them were at my my labor and I had an amazing labor and delivery. I did not use any sort of um, medical intervention. I was at a hospital, but, you know, that's where my husband felt safest. But other than that, I didn't have any medical intervention. And then with the next baby, I did the same thing. And I was like, you know what? I could totally do this. I could totally be this kind of support for other women, and especially women who are completely oblivious to the fact that this kind of support exists. So I decided that I would become a doula myself. So this was over ten years ago, and I was trained in uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, by the founder of Kappa International, and I've been a doula ever since. So I just recently started my my journey into midwifery because I, you know, my, my actual college career has taken a different turn into pathology, which, you know, that's pretty typical of somebody who loves murder and all those things. But, um, but I love, I love the birth world so much and I'm super passionate about it. So I decided that I would take um, this, it's a NARM, it's a NARM direct entry program into midwifery where you're basically doing a self-study and you have to, you know, do all the things that you would do in a normal midwifery setting, midwifery school setting, but you do them on your own and you kind of have to get people to back you and preceptors and things like that. But that's the route that I am taking because it allows me to have my regular job and finish my other schooling and do this at the same time. So I have a super, super busy life and schedule, but it is really, really, um, it is really something that's super important to me um, to be a part of the birth world. And the, I mean, the closest you can get is actually delivering babies and being a midwife. So that's where I'm headed. I, I've given myself like a three-year window to finish at this point. What so. an
0: amazing journey. I, yeah. I I have a lot I want yeah. to say. Uh, a couple things. It was a very intrigued. I was hanging on your words. That's a great journey story. I like how it started from your own parent journey, your own birth stories. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of passionate people create careers of passion is because they really listen to their own story. Some sort of calling inside their own stories. That's exactly how I ended up a therapist. Pretty much the same story, but it was um, over mental health rather than birthing. The reason that I am passionate about home birthing is because I had a home birth 17 Mm -hmm. years ago and I found a midwife. I had a doula through my midwife. And I was successful at having a home birth, and my son was born in my apartment. So, oh my gosh! What? Wow. Yeah. So I'm really passionate about that because how I ended up that way, you know, Star was. I have a bit of a phobia about hospitals, probably from my true crime obsession and all the things I know about <laughs> angels of death, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. and that sort of led me when I decided to have a child to alternate, uh, birth styles. Like, look, people have not had hospitals forever, but we've had babies forever. So how does one give birth without oh, a nice. hospital? I was just very curious and I don't do anything that I'm not really interested in usually. <laughs> so I thought if I was mm-hmm. going to have a baby, I should probably get interested in that shit. So that's how absolutely. I absolutely was just sort of <laughs> I don't want to go to a hospital. That can't be the only way to have a baby. That would be weird. So what else is there? And then this is where sort of some of my other passions intersect with that. At the time I was a vegetarian and I ate only holistically. And so I wanted to figure out like what sort of protein problem was I going to have being pregnant? And then also I didn't have insurance. So I thought, there's got to be a cheaper uh, way to have a baby than a hospital as well. Right. And I ended up mm-hmm. only paying $2,000 for my entire birth experience with my midwife. So it's way cheaper. It's like 15000 to have a baby at a hospital. Yeah. So yeah. it's thrifty.
2: Yeah, it is for sure. So I was going to ask you about that. So you didn't have insurance. What state were you Texas. in? Texas. Okay, so... Now, I've had experience in California, in Wisconsin, and in Georgia, and all three of those states have a Medicaid program that allows women who don't have insurance to then be qualified just because of the fact that they are pregnant for the Medicaid, the state Medicaid program. Was not that not the case in Texas? It
0: absolutely was the case. And in fact, I had okay. to get on Medicaid because pregnancy is considered a pre-existing condition for any private pay insurance. Huh. or Oh, wow. Right. So I had to get on Medicaid. But by the time that paperwork went through and I did all of that shit, I already had a midwife. So oh. I did both just in case. And mm-hmm. my midwife uh, encouraged me to do that. She said, look, you know, eight times out of 10, you're going to be fine. But if you're not, if you end up having a breech birch that we can't wait, Breached birth that we can't turn. Uh, If you have some other very serious problem, if your placenta won't uh, birth, you will need to go to a hospital. So it's good to see the OBGYN at least every two months so that they're prepared to birth you in an emergency. So that was really good advice. And that's exactly what I did. And I, she was able, Janet Dermeyer is, uh, was my uh, birth mother here in San Antonio, Texas. I don't know if she's still practicing, but if you live in San Antonio or the area and you're looking for a midwife, I would definitely start with her. She was at the time I used her, you know, 20 years into the business and just really, really great. And she knew all the doctors in town that weren't like, fuck you. I'm not treating you if you don't come to the hospital. (laughs) Right. Right. So as a doula and a midwife in training, you must run into a need for a lot of different awarenesses about what people are looking for, where they come from, their sort of cultural beliefs and ideologies, and maybe their customs. Does that happen? Uh, Absolutely. It's uh, In my first few years
2: of being a doula, surprisingly, all of my clients look like me and I was really I was really kind of taken aback by that because when I was training, there wasn't anyone that looked like me. Um, there were not very many uh, cultures represented in the training or that I saw across the board um, in the birth world. Um, the people that were the people that were interested in doula work or interested in having doulas were mostly, you know, cisgendered white women. And most of them were affluent. And I was needed none of those things. Um, And then I started to notice that people across the board were interested, like people who looked like me, people who were, who didn't have a lot of money, people who had different religious and cultural beliefs, um, that were not being served adequately by the current community of doulas. So, um, I saw the need immediately there, but then when I moved to Milwaukee, I was astounded by the statistics about infant mortality and maternal mortality. And I was like, this, you know, something has to be done about this. And I'd heard of uh, some pilot programs in other cities that were cutting that, that gap, the, you know, the gap is one to five um, for every one white woman, about five black women or women of color are dying or their children are dying in the first year of life. And um, there were pilot programs that were, taking doulas and mostly doulas of color and putting them pairing them with women of color who were going to give birth and they were closing that gap with this program so it um it made me go you know what some people need to be aware of this people need to know what's going on and um I, that's how it started it sort of took off from there I was shocked by those statistics and it made me take action immediately so
0: that's what brings it for me- you Yeah,
2: that's
0: a couple times you said looks like me. I'm wondering what you mean. I I have something that comes to my mind. I I think about when I was a kid and the first time I saw Star Trek on television, the original run, I saw a woman being a scientist and it it happened to be a black woman as well. And I felt really empowered. Mm -hmm. And I thought I can do stuff if she can do that. Yes. Yes. I can do what I want. And I was little. So that's sort of what I'm thinking. But what do you mean?
2: Well, you hit the nail on the head. When you... representation matters. And to sum it up, representation matters. And if you are in a world where you don't see yourself represented in certain communities or certain aspects of life, you don't tend to place yourself there. So you didn't necessarily see yourself as a scientist or somebody who could become all the wonderful things that you are now until you saw somebody who looked like you, whether it was a Black woman or not, you saw a woman in that position and you were like, oh my God, I can totally do this. And it's the same when it comes to the birth world, when you when you sit and talk with a group of Black women, and I'm Black for those of you guys who don't know, <laughs> do don't know on the podcast, um, and you talk to them about having a home birth or having a doula, first of all, a lot of them don't even know that home births are available. Um, the ones that do know are unaware that they can have such a thing on their, you know, be applied with their insurance they don't know that they, there are doulas available. They don't, a lot of them don't even know what a doula is. I certainly didn't. I don't want to speak from this place of, you know, it's supreme enlightenment because I had no idea. I was like a doula, a what? What is that? You know, yeah. so when you see somebody who looks like you and I'm speaking as a woman first, and then as a black woman, a woman of color, um, as a polyglot, someone who is, you know, multi uh, speaks multiple languages. Um, and I'm representing all of those groups, those uh, disenfranchised groups. People go, oh my gosh, this, is this, I can totally do this. I can have a doula. I can be a doula. I can have one and I can be one. Oh my gosh. And I can be a, a, a midwife. I can do all of these things. I can have a home birth. It, there was so, I have a friend, a wonderful friend, dear. um, And she's a doula here in Milwaukee. And she is one of the first black women that I've ever known. And I'm saying I've been in the birth world for a decade that has had a home birth. And her, the fact that she had a home birth and it was filmed and she has it on birth tube for those of you guys who are interested. um, It, it spoke to so many black women who were like, oh my God, if she can do it, I can do it too. Like this isn't something just for, you know, hippie white women or, (laughs) or, or, uh, you know, people who are affluent I can totally do this and so like like I said in the beginning part of this representation it totally matters so when I say look like me I just mean you know women of color for sure that yeah so we're just so disenfranchised when it comes to that that part of life unfortunately so
0: that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this show um how we met is that I invited you to be a moderator in a Facebook group I run about fashion, because we would run into some cultural appropriation problems, especially around this time of year with Halloween photos, and just people being culturally insensitive. I needed someone on board who could really speak to people of color and defend and educate uh, their us on their values and what they're looking for from white people in particular, and what feels inclusive and supportive and maybe representative rather than appropriative. Right. So that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast as well, is because I've learned a lot from being in Facebook groups over the past couple years about this topic. And it's really become something that I want thrifters to become aware of, because I think it comes up in thrifting. Yes. Now, will you tell us a little bit about your thrifting passion? Because I know that you're also very passionate about thrifting. And then we'll sort of circle back to uh, cultural sensitivity. Sure. Um, So I'm
2: based I'm obsessed with thrifting. I think I don't think I have purchased anything new in years years and years other than maybe toilet paper but I, I love thrifting um i've been doing it since i was a kid but um, most recently i actually had a business where i was thrifting for for profit like i was thrifting and buying and reselling and i did that for a really long time um so you know now that i'm sort of doing something else i'm kind of in a new wave of my life and doing something different i still Go to thrift stores every single week. I purchase most of my clothing there, my children's clothing there. And yes, it is something that comes up um, often, especially like you said during this time of year. So,
0: where do you think cultural sensitivity shows up in thrifting? Like how you approach thrifting, what you buy, like where do you think it fits?
2: <sighs> that is um, for me um, personally, there are. There are things that I find along the way, thrifting, that I always feel um, compelled to either, it's going to sound weird, but (laughs) try to find the rightful owner, especially if you do things like storage auctions and stuff like that, where you come along, you know, things that you know are culturally uh, representative for certain families and certain, um, you know, groups of people, or you find things that you know someone else is going to exploit. And it was always a hard thing for me where I was like, well, I could totally sell this for a lot of money, or I could try to find this family or find an organization that could, you know, take this back into the the group or the culture that it, from whence it came. So that's always been a very, very, you know, uh, difficult line to walk, especially when you're trying to make money. But for me, it was more important that I was that I had integrity in, in thrifting. Um, so I think for people who thrift just for their own, you know, pleasure or for Halloween and things like that, it comes to play when people are dressing up. It's, it's, you know, I think I think this topic was brought up and you brought me on board this time last year. I'm pretty sure it was a Halloween costume. I, actually, I know it was. It was a Halloween costume. It was... So, yeah, I think it was uh, Beyonce. Is that it right? It was Beyonce. It was. It was um, a, a young woman wanted to, or she had already purchased the items thrifting to portray Beyonce in her very infamous video formation.
0: That's right. And, yeah, I remember. It, it, you know, it was a great idea, just not for was. her. <laughs> yeah. exactly,
2: exactly. And people get really, really touchy when you say this is beautiful. Only it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. You know, that's a, and that's a that's another hard for some people. It's a hard um, hard thing to even say to speak. For me, it isn't. I'm very vocal <laughs> about this, and you know, I was. I think I was pretty adamant in the in that particular thread where I said, you know what, this is a beautiful idea. And actually your execution of it was pretty flawless. However, this is not for you. Yeah, And, you know, and, and the, the person that we were speaking to, I don't remember her name or anything and I wouldn't say it anyhow, but yeah, she's very, she was very defensive and she was like, well, I don't understand everyone said I did a good job and it looked so great. And I really did it. You know, just use, you, you, you just said, I, I, I executed it very well. And I was like, yes. You as a as a white woman, you executed this very well. However, you don't understand the the cultural and social significance of this video. You don't understand that black women have had to for decades. And I mean, now as we're into the the centuries, (laughs) fight and and scrape and. Yeah. do their absolute do the absolute most when it comes to being recognized and being praised and this was something that Beyonce really really was very specific about doing for them this was not for you yeah so and and everyone it, it was pretty unanimous across the board that we all felt very very much the same and she was not having it. She I believe she left the group. She blocked us all. Um, it was pretty. It got pretty ugly there for a minute. But the the thing I want people to remember is that as white people, as members of the majority air quotes, <laughs> we don't have the capability or the ability to tell other people what is offensive to to them. We don't get to say that. We don't get to say what's a- appropriative. If someone from that culture is telling you that it is, then it is. I mean, it's really
0: that simple. I I think so. I think it is that simple. And it's painful. I will, you know, empathize with the, you know, the person going through that as well. I'm very sure that defensiveness came from a place of pain. And, you know, while it maybe felt like anger or, you know, being rejected, I think it, it's pain nonetheless. It's a difficult feeling. Right. And I totally understand that. And it's hard, but I think you're right. Just don't argue with it. Just <laughs> right. feel the feeling because my, and I'd like your input on this. My awareness currently is that that feeling I'm feeling in that moment is the feeling Maybe people who look like you, to use your words, have been feeling for centuries of Bingo. being rejected, of being oppressed, of being told no, uh-huh. and of feeling out of place and feeling uncomfortable. Yes, and
2: those feelings came to people like me, and they were unwarranted. This is warranted, right? Her feeling. Discomfort, her feeling of pain—it was warranted, and not only is it warranted, it's useful. It's useful. Use it work through it and understand that it's growth. Every—I I literally yes. just said this to a friend this morning. Change is growth. You cannot have growth without change, and change is almost always painful. Agree. You—I mean, it's—it's—it's it's just the way the world works. That's why people are so comfortable
0: in staying the same. So if you go back to the idea of you being a doula and a midwife in training, I think there is a parallel there, and maybe it's just my therapist brain, you know, looking for connections between subconscious processing and conscious processing, but it seems to me like having had a home birth and going through the Bradley Method and what you know The parallel is to me is that in a hospital environment where you're just going to do a medical birth, every step of the way, we're numbing the pain. We are reducing the experience, getting away from the discomfort. Wow. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's what we do with cultural dominance is we get away from the pain we cause. We numb the experience. I don't know. What do you see there? Well, why I'm sitting here stunned because I'm
2: I'm gonna have to, I can't wait until this is uploaded because I'm gonna need to use this <laughs> in my next teaching because wow I never thought of it like that I was thinking immediately of the parallel I draw and I did not uh, lend myself to hearing something else until you said it what that makes so much sense that it, you know the oh man that is amazing but let me tell you my parallel. the the parallel that I draw in, in, in the birthing world, there's all sorts of methods. You've heard of the Bradley method, which you um, clearly utilized. Um, There's, there's things that doulas use the rebozo, um, which is from the Spanish or Mexican culture. There is um, bangkang, which I teach. It's uh, from Malaysian and African culture binding. Uh, Several other things that the birth world uses and, Um, I found that almost every part of it, every part of midwifery, every part of being a doula, all of those things have been appropriated from other cultures, cultures. So that's where I have always drawn the parallel in that I didn't understand how women of color, um, did not have access to doulas and midwives and and all these other things. However, it was their culture from whence the practices came. (laughs) so you know and and so that was always interesting to me and it was interesting to me that um, white people white women specifically had monetized their cultures and then made it so exorbitant that that the culture could not afford to be part of it it was it was startling. and so that's for me I've always drawn that 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 parallel there in that we've appropriated birth, we appropriate culture, we appropriate every single part of other people's culture. We we cherry pick those things that are valuable to us, i.e. yoga, you know, um, rebozo, um, part of the Bradley method is appropriated. All of these things we've cherry picked and we've monetized. And then we tell those cultures, "Ah, you can't even afford to, to come and be part of our seminar, you know? Um, so that's what I, but you, man, you hit the nail on the head too, with that saying that, um, we have basically taken the sting out of birth or taken the, the feeling, the emotion, the depth of it by removing, you know, basically kind of making it as mechanical and as, uh, medicinal as possible. So everything, all pain is managed. Um, every bit of the birth is managed and we do the same thing when it comes to, Appropriating, We want to make everything soft and easy. And it's not that. It's not, the, not a big deal. I mean, I did it well, right? I respect this culture. And people of color are saying, you can respect us and still respect the fact that we don't want you to be part of this. There are some things that are valuable to us and that we want to keep for ourselves. And we don't want you to be part of it. And it's offensive when you insert yourself into this part of our culture. Even if it's art, we don't want you there. And when people are yeah. saying that, why aren't we listening?
0: I don't know. I, I had a thought when you were when you were saying all that, and, it, and I, I guess I was going back to the time when I was participating in the Bradley program, and I, I was thinking about what made me want to do that. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, you know, part of it was financial, but a larger part of it was my ideologies. Right? right. And I think about the sanitization that goes on in white culture, how we somehow, I, and I don't know if this has historically always been true, but it seems like it might be a part of white culture functioning, is that we seek, again, I'm going to generalize here. I don't, mm-hmm. it's just an idea I'm having. I right. think that historically, we've sought to make life easier. Ah, Yes. We're, we're inventors, mm-hmm. I think, in some way. And so at some point, maybe we want something more, and that's what might lead us to circle back to other cultures for something more. Because I was thinking about what led me to, and it was a video I saw, you know, of course it was an actual video, it was like on a video cassette, (laughs) of of a woman giving birth in France in a natural setting. And I, I sort of think she was Asian, is what I'm thinking right now. But what really struck me is how natural it was and how peaceful she felt. And the setting was so um, comfortable and, and not as uh, the it wasn't as sanitized in its mm-hmm. appearance. It was like, you know, she could eat, she could walk around. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> she was so tethered I,
0: by cords. Yes. So I felt this, longing to be that way Uh, yes do you see what i'm saying i absolutely see what you're saying yeah so maybe one of the things that makes appropriation a thing now where colonization may have been what made it a thing before i don't know maybe when i think about that post and there was another post this halloween that while it hasn't been deleted i'm watching it because i if a trans person has a single instruction for any of us it's coming down
2: amen that's what makes sense
0: so there's a post right now with somebody dressed as uh
2: Caitlyn Jenner
0: Caitlyn Jenner yes thank you and again beautifully done yeah and there's a a beautiful job yeah beautiful Uh, and and not offensive you know it's in in its tone to us but we are not trans to us because right. it's pro-trans. And there's a pair of underwear this person's wearing that says what? It says uh, none of your business. Right. right. Right? So it's a very positive trans, pro-trans, uh, sex-positive message.
2: Right. That's or so it seems. To to or so it seems to us.
0: But you and I decided <laughs> we don't know. We're not the authority. Right. The the only reason it's staying up is because it's pro, it's positive, it's supportive. Right. But if a person that is identified as trans says that it doesn't feel supportive to them, says it feels appropriative to them, Mm -hmm. it's coming down.
2: Absolutely. And And that statement matters so much. Like, you just gave me chills thinking about that because... I know, oh man, I promised I was not going to get emotional about anything on here, but I know that you have my back too by saying that because you're not a trans person. However, you are adamant about defending them. And if something is going to be offensive to them, even if it doesn't make sense to your eye, who are not trans people, then it comes down, period. That's it in the story. And so I know if something else comes up that's appropriative of black women, um, or queer women or whatever, <laughs> whatever group that I represent, I know that you are going to take heed if myself or someone like myself says, this doesn't feel okay to me. And yeah. that is so, so important. And when you asked, when you chimed, when you asked us about that post, the Caitlyn Jenner post, it was sort of, I had to kind of take a, you know, I took a minute, if you remember to answer and I looked at it, and I'm like, can I see pictures? And I'm like, okay, well, it seems supportive. It seems that way to us. Mm -hmm. but we aren't who matters, (laughs) you know, at the end of the day, our opinion about it doesn't really matter. And so, yeah, it's, it's fine that it stays up for now, but the minute that someone who is trans or, you know, if that were to occur, said that it didn't feel right or that they felt uncomfortable about it or there was any leaning towards just not wanting it to be, then it has to come down. And that's, I feel like if we all approached appropriation in that manner, that we were paying attention to the culture or the subset or the, you know, uh, marginalized group that, that is representing this particular thing, if we paid attention to that and that was our only parameter on whether or not it was acceptable, it would be easy.
0: This would be so easy. There wouldn't be any more discussion about it. Such a good point. I think so, too. And I think about and I think what makes that easy for me start, I mean, easy being, maybe not the right word, but at least doable, how about that, just doable, Mm -hmm. is that it's something that is very much a part of couples therapy, where you stop trying to be right, Uh, and you start trying to care. Ah,
2: wow. Wow.
0: And that's it. This better make
2: this episode, (laughs) because I need to write this stuff down, and I don't have a pen. So, yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's it. Right. And you start trying to care. And I think that's where people's emotions get involved, where they start to feel like I'm being attacked and, you know, bring out the white women tears and all this shit that doesn't need to be involved is that they want to be right so badly. They want to be right and they want to be comfortable. And when somebody takes away their being right, or takes away their comfort then they are mad and they are defensive and they pull out the tears occasionally well i don't want to say occasionally a lot and um and then everybody else is made to feel like we're being too too sensitive and that's not the case at all But like wow what a poignant statement stop being wanting to be right and just start caring caring about what 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 caring about someone other than yourself a group that, yeah. that you're not represented in. Wow, because I think that's where caring for me it really starts when you start to care about people who are not necessarily you or don't look like you or don't have the same beliefs at you. That's where the where the basis of real love is, right? Because yeah. it's easy to love us, it's easy to love ourselves and people who look like us and represent us and have the same beliefs and politics as us. But love, especially an unconditional types of love, it's it's grounded in coming outside of yourself and outside of people who are like you,
0: you know? Absolutely. And I think if I were going to, you know, make this, now let's take it out of a context and put it in a, maybe a universal idea, right? Like a human idea. I think it's quite simply loving yourself helps you, not need to be right Mm -hmm. and if you feel threatened internally right if you feel threatened internally by being wrong instead of making it about someone else you need to look inside and you need to ask yourself why is that so threatening to me to be wrong right why can't i just be wrong and say hey thanks for giving me a different view on that Mm mm-hmm Because I inside am not aware, I'm not in touch with myself, so I feel threatened by difference, I feel threatened by ego, Uh, I feel threatened by the experience of myself, so I defend, not because I'm defending against the other person, I defend because I don't want to look at myself right you see wow. yes well, we just got heavy right like oh blue, my goodness I,
2: I'm gonna listen to this episode like 20 <laughs> times because these are all things that I I feel like I'm I'm quote unquote enlightened and I'm woke another quote air quote um and how but you are teaching me honey you are preaching right now like I'm seriously like absorbing all of this that is amazing
0: yes and yes. so it's not easy, right? No. I mean, that's not the right word. No. It's humbling. It's, Very um, much so. I think that's what it takes. You may yeah. not process all of that in the moment. That's okay. Yeah. It's fine. But go back. Process it again and see if you can find the perspective that doesn't assert itself right away.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, which is one of, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So (laughs) when I go to a thrift store, I want to tie this back to thrifting because this is the, I think this is probably one of the hardest ones for me Mm -hmm. because I'm on my own. Mm -hmm. I don't have anyone there to guide me, (laughs) you know, to give me some new awareness. And I have a high desire to have whatever it is I see that I want. Right. Right. And it's going to be like $3. (laughs) Right. So there's no barrier. It's just, I want it. So Mm -hmm. that moment. And then also, there's some confusion for me about what if I see, okay, let me just come up with something. What if I see like a gorgeous, um, oh, for sure, something like a Native American wool blanket, right? Like that's an item I think a lot of people would really love. Mm Mm-hmm. What do I do, Star? What? What? Give me your take. What is a sensitive thing to do? <laughs>
2: yeah. So this is this is where I told you I had trouble. You know, like what do I do? Um, so I can't use Native American blanket for myself, but I can use uh, Chinoiserie. Uh, so I found this really beautiful um, Chinese um, traditional dress and then I also found a beautiful Japanese kimono I'm and I thought and I've really this is so funny because that kimono is still hanging downstairs in my basement because I could not for the I couldn't bring myself to do anything with it because I didn't know I all I knew that if it was going to remain there on the goodwill floor and this was a tradition this was an actual real silk kimono Yeah, that I knew that it was either going to be sold um, for profit and that it was just going to be dismissed or it was going to be worn as a Halloween costume and I didn't want that. So I bought it. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to buy, buy it. And I think as thrifters, we, especially as conscious thrifters, let's call us that, um, we have a responsibility to take action where we can. So let's say you you have that experience. You come across a Native American wool blanket. And you aren't, you know, too financially strapped and you buy it for three bucks or whatever, um, maybe do some research, find out where this blanket came from, find out if that particular tribe or, um, you know, the, the reservation from where it came, where it came, uh, they meant for it to be sold for profit. If they, meant uh-huh. that, then maybe leave it or sell it or do whatever you will maybe this was something that was stolen as is much of native american art you know that tends to that tends to really be the case and sometimes it was as simple as hey do i know anybody who's from this culture or that has a grandparent or something that's from this specific and can i send this to them as a gift or or it was can I return this to a museum that represents? There's a we here in Milwaukee. We have a um, a Black Holocaust Museum. Um, if I were to find remnants of African American art, especially uh, in Georgia, there's a there's a big thing with the lawn art, and it's super, you know, super offensive. But if I were to find a piece like that, I would want to, even as an African American person, I would want to have possession of it. I would want to return it to a museum like that, or just to someone who that particular art style or whatever has been taken from. So I think that's a, that's a huge step. And for some people that's like, oh, that's time consuming. And it's not for me. Well, if you're one of those types of people, don't buy it. Leave it where it is and let somebody else handle it. And if it gets into the hands of some white person who doesn't feel the need to do that, then you, you you have to be able to live with that. But I think that's a really good start. Either saying I'm not the person, this is not for me. This, it would be a cultural culturally appropriative or dismissive for me to sell it or wear it or use it. And therefore I'm going to leave it where it is because I don't know what to do. It's okay to say, I don't know. I have no idea or I'm not willing to take that step yet. But once we make the decision to purchase an item like that, I feel like it's our duty to do something.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a really interesting point, and I certainly have my struggles with it. I think, especially things that I've had for a long time, if I go back in time, because I've been thrifting for like 35 years, and I think the concept, or probably not the concept, but at least the terminology of cultural appropriation is a fairly new phenomenon compared to that length of time, right? So. Some things I've had for a long time, and I I can think of a few right off the top of my head, uh, like some Polynesian carved wood. I, too, have a silk, uh, while it's not a kimono, it's like a jacket kimono that's really beautiful that I found. I don't wear it anymore because I feel too, I guess, sensitive about it is the right word. I feel too sensitive about it. Um, but. I don't know what to do with it. I don't, uh, yeah, I have, I just have the, I'm just sort of stuck in that, in that space. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess this episode isn't to make everybody perfectly aligned with goodness. You know, I'm not trying to moralize, I suppose. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, do better. Yeah, do
2: better. And that's the thing, like, do better, even if it's a little bit. But when it comes to that kimono, there may be a time where you are able to return it to the culture from whence it was stolen. However, right now is not that space for you. And that's okay. Every day you're doing a little bit better. And that's what matters, right? That's what counts.
0: So when I'm out shopping for thrift bags, I find a lot of beautiful um, culturally designed items and a lot of times I'll leave them because I don't always know who I'm sending something to. I just have a questionnaire, right? I don't always know what their ethnicity is. And that could be a fun thing for me to add to the survey that I have with baggers is do you have a cultural affiliation and would you like items? Mm, from that, that culture? Would be- Yeah, maybe I should do that. I think that's kind of a great idea. Because I I do run across things, and, like, I just ran across a silk Chinese dress that was just, you know, of course, fucking amazing.
2: Of course.
0: Well, I left it. I didn't know what to do with it. (laughs) It was a dollar.
2: It was a dollar. But that's okay. That is
0: okay. (laughs) Okay. I thought maybe someone will walk in here that is going to feel like fate, you know, brought that dress to them.
2: Right, absolutely, yeah.
0: Because one of the things that I was told is that, and, and this stuck with me, and I think it helped me move forward, is that one of the easiest ways to avoid cultural appropriation is to know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> right, be educated. <laughs> be educated. Like, yeah. Like, if you're going to have a Shiva statue in your house, like, know what the fuck that means.
2: And know who the fuck it is and how to pronounce their name. Like, don't, yeah. <laughs> Not started on that shit, but yes, absolutely. And like I'd what, totally
0: what? Yeah, and like what they signify, and like at the very least, just know know what it means, right? You know, don't get a dream catcher from Target and hang it on your wall and be like, "That's <sighs> a dream catcher," right? So yeah, um, that. If nothing else, if you don't take anything else from this episode, take that,
2: right. But I think people, I think it's important that you brought this up because people, when they are learning and when, especially when they're changing, they need actionable steps. Yeah. They need to know what to, okay, then what do I do now? Tell me what to do. You know, exactly. I'm not, tell me what to do. And so, yeah, you make, you're making perfect sense by making that statement that if you don't know what to do, at least know what you're doing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. At least do that one part. Start there. And then if you want to do a second part, now, this is really cool. This is something I didn't know people did, but how I found out they did it was with photographs. If you find old photos at a thrift store, some people will buy them and track down who they belong to. Yes. And there are Facebook groups dedicated to that.
2: Yes, and it's beautiful. It
0: is fucking beautiful. Oh,
2: my goodness. I have seen I've seen people get their great 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 grandmothers bibles back.
1: And I mean,
2: oh my goodness, pieces of their family that they had thought they thought were lost forever. And they're like, "Oh my god, that's me," or "I know that person," or "I recognize them." And yes, oh man, that's beautiful. I wish you, you know it would be awesome if you could link I don't know how your episodes work, but if you could link in the episode comments or something, some of those Facebook groups, that would be really cool.
0: Oh, my God. That's a great idea. And you know what? I just thought, I wonder if there's a group like that for cultural items. Oh, my God. There's got to be. If there isn't, it needs to be made today by you, Libby. Oh, right. Because I need another Facebook group to (laughs) (laughs) do. You need
2: something else to do. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That is a, well, we've we've both got to do research then now. That's our job today is I to find I'll, out if there are
0: let's do it and we'll put some links in the show notes and if not maybe you can start the group yeah, you would be a better know. person for it Oh, oh yeah, I, sure. will, um, <laughs> I will I oh. will make you you know what I could do is we could post a link to it in the Thrift Therapy Facebook group Oh, and uh, I could make you a mod there and you could you know you, we could cross group stuff that would get, be awesome. get the word out there I mean it's totally doable
2: That would be awesome. Yes, absolutely.
0: And that should exist because I just thought how wonderful that would be. If I find a gorgeous thing that doesn't, it's not for me, I could get it, especially if it's a dollar like that silk dress. I could put it, wheels be quiet. I could put (laughs) it on this Facebook group. And even if it's not the original owner, it's somebody that it belongs to, somebody that it's right. right for. Right,
2: exactly. And that, oh man, so I'm wondering how we would search for that. We can talk about that later, but we, we definitely got to get on that. And I feel like then maybe, you know, then we could, do. well, if I've had this item for two years and nobody who it belongs to necessarily um, claims it, then it could be open to people who will honor it or are part of that tradition or, or culture, you know?
0: Um, I think so. And look, yeah. if you've ever wondered, like, if you've ever felt white guilt, I'm going to talk to white people for a second. <laughs> if you've ever felt white guilt, this is a great way to process that feeling. Oh my God, yes. This is reparations. This is what it is.
2: Yes.
0: You do this. You give the thing that you love and covet to the person it belongs to.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And yes. you let it go. And you thank them for their generosity yep their creativity absolutely
2: that's so beautiful yep you you let it go and you thank them for the beauty that they have lent to your lives for a short time
0: yeah yeah and don't steal it don't steal (laughs) it there's enough creativity to go around absolutely absolutely Absolutely. You you know,
2: I was thinking the class I taught a few weeks ago, we started off by introducing ourselves and talking about where we were from, where our family was from. And we had white women within the group that could say, oh, my grandfather or my great grandfather was from this place and this village. And, you know, and these were their names before they came to the United States. And they knew everything about their family. And then we get to the people of color. And they could not tell you anything about Mm. anyone past the last two generations. And he, and and that was the point of the exercise. That was the whole point. is to say that we've literally had everything stolen from us—not just our names, but our our land and our humanity, our family, our lineage, our traditions. So it's you know, if you want to start somewhere, start there. Giving
0: giving those things back, you know, returning them. Star, I. I just want to say, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry.
1: I feel a lot of pain for the harm that has been caused by my ancestors. And I'm sorry.
2: And I thank you for that. I I know how hard that is to say. I know. I really do get it. And that's very big of you, and I appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you for receiving it. I just, it's just, um, it's just so unfair. It's been, it it was very unfair, and and the maltreatment just such a horror. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to acknowledge that people that I come from did those things, and that that is my heritage. It's not the, you're right, but it's, it's important. Very,
1: very important.
0: Um, well, thank you so much for coming on Thrift Therapy. I Absolutely. I, move forward. I want to say that we will be putting some links in the show notes for this episode because um, for those of you who stayed tuned, I think you're going to want to follow up on this later, maybe after you digest. Or maybe you're where we are and you want to take action and you're ready to make change happen and spread the word oh, great we're gonna we're gonna Star and i will we'll make that happen yeah oh for sure, for sure. <laughs> well yeah. i want to ask you the thrift questions so we can figure out you know your level of thrift expertise right okay right. <laughs> here we go okay how often do you thrift Three to five times a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's expert <laughs> beyond, right? You're like yeah. master yeah. level. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And do you like to go alone or with friends?
2: Oh no, I'm a like I'm like a um, I'm like a solo like mission style thrifter. I don't play when it comes to that because I don't want you looking at my item and being like, "Ooh, I could really use that." No, bitch, it's for me.
1: That's how it's I feel. The
2: thrift <laughs> <laughs> yes. I am so selfish when it comes to thrifting. So, no, I don't even like to take my children, to be honest with you. Yes, Especially you now that I have a kid that wears my size. I'm like, nah, no thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no expert level thrifter can really do that level of thrifting just with friends. Like, yeah. you got to get in there. Right. Um, let's see. Oh, when you get lucky, do you think there are thrift gods helping you out?
2: Um. No, I just think I'm a gangster. Like I'm a thrift gangster, and like I just like I found this thing that like probably a hundred people overlooked, and I'm just that good. So no, I don't subscribe to the God's theory. I subscribe to I am the God.
0: What about list or spontaneous? List. Okay. Do you write it down? Is it in your head? Where do you keep like what I'm going
2: to do? Like what I'm going to look for? You mean yeah. Oh, no, 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 I'm spontaneous now if it's if it's for myself like i do I have a list that i like go look over every day that um has all these things that I'm looking for when I'm thrifting, so that I can like before I go in the thrift store, I just glance at it and I know like okay, subconsciously, I'm looking for these things, but as far as like me doing that on a regular basis, no, when I go in, I'm like it could be anything. I don't really have a list. The lists are just for things that I need personally, yeah, okay,
0: so it's like. Subconscious list, conscious, spontaneous. Right. That's probably the best answer I've ever had. <laughs> Conscious spontaneity, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and what's your best or worst thrift story?
2: Oh, um, okay, we're going to go with best because, right, we need good vibes, especially in this political climate. So we're going to go with best. So this I'd say was one of my, one. this was the, the story about how I first started reselling. I was at a yard sale and I was working for Department of Family and Children's Services as a translator at the time, or interpreter. And I was at, a, I just went on my lunch break to a yard sale. And so I think yard sales are thrifting, so we're going to go with that. And I was going through this jewelry basket that they had a sign that said, all jewelry, 50 cent. So I came across what it looked like like a, maybe a replica Tiffany necklace. And I was like, is this 50 cent too? And she said, yeah, it's 50 cent. So I paid her the 50 cent. I left and I I was like, how do you know? I Googled, how do you find out if, you know, something is real Tiffany? But I didn't know anything about it because I'm cheap and poor. So I don't have any Tiffany jewelry. So I find out that you can like take it to the store and they can look at it and tell you. So I went and took it to the store and they said, oh yeah, this is actually real Tiffany. So I got this Tiffany necklace for 50 cent. And everyone was like, ah, <laughs> Yes, and everyone's like, Oh, you should go and wear it. Like, that's such a cool piece, and what you know, you got a story behind it. And I was like, I don't really care about Tiffany, but I do care about paying my rent this month, so <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna sell this on eBay. So, this is like my first eBay sale ever. This is you know, almost 10 years ago now, and I put it on eBay and I sold the necklace for $120. So, I mean, you can do the math yourself. I literally paid nothing, I made $120, which was you know, a sixth. Of my rent, and I was like, Oh my god, I can do this because I totally can do this, like, this is doable, you know. And that's where I started. So, that's always my best thrift story. And you know, since then, I've made way more on sales. And but but to have that initial rush of like finding something that someone discarded and making it make sense or make it work for my life was just it was exhilarating, and I still have not lost the draw to doing that.
0: So yeah, that's like the birth of a reseller, right?
2: Yes. Oh, my God. It, it, and Every reseller you talk to will tell you a similar story. Like, one day I just thought, and, oh, I made $6,000. You know what I mean? It's always something crazy like that. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's
0: incredible. That's incredible. That's wow. Amazing. Good story. Okay, well, I think we made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for thinking of me to
2: even be here. I'm so, so elated. I appreciate it.
0: Oh good. Well, I'm so grateful you came on. I definitely want wanted to have this cultural sensitivity conversation. Really need to get this message out there to people who can really make a difference. Cuz look, you know, we are out there on the front lines finding yeah. these artifacts and we can make a big difference. Absolutely. And the thrift community, I think we're all about good vibes and Generosity. Um, I don't know. It, it, it seems like we're a good lot of people overall.
2: Absolutely. I believe. Yeah. yeah.
0: We can You're make right. it happen. All right. For sure. Well, Thank great. you. Thank you. I'll see you
1: online. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a roller coaster. I learned a lot from Star. I resonated often in emotions and I feel grateful that I was able to have that conversation and I hope that it meant something to you, the listeners, as well. I have great news that since Star and I have this conversation, we have put together a Facebook group that uh, meets the need we mentioned towards the end of the podcast about a social exchange where thrifters can help cultural artifacts or items that we find at thrift stores be returned to their native culture, if that's the appropriate thing for them, or to educate us non-natives on how to wear these items or display these items or interact with these items in a respectful and appreciative way. Because appropriation isn't just about having the item. It's about being ignorant or disrespectful and causing harm. So this group is called Socially Conscious Thrift Exchange. It's a public group. You can find it on Facebook. You can search it. Or you can join Thrift Therapy. And it is a linked group of Thrift Therapy. It's my goal uh, to be supportive of this group and to have people of color run it. I uh, am not going to whitewash this group. It's not my goal. So um, STAR is the primary admin and Thrift Therapy is just the support system and support network. And I encourage all people of color listening to this podcast that if you want to get involved with this, we need you. So join the group. And if you want to request to be a moderator, we'd love to have you. I look forward to meeting this need in the vast world of the Internet. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Thrift Therapy this week. As always, I love and appreciate each and every one of you. I love it when you guys leave me reviews or send me emails. It's just the best thing ever. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. But by far the best way to help the podcast is to spread the word. Tell people about Thrift Therapy. And hopefully they'll join us and grow our community together. I will talk to you next week. Be sure and visit... The website for all things Thrift Therapy related to this episode, though. Okay? Stay thrifty, everybody.